All right, let's go ahead and open in prayer. Lord, thank you for this evening. We thank you for this time that we have to come together in fellowship and look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us in what you would want us to, to learn from this. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Kings chapter 21. We have just ended the life of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the great kings of Israel. And if you remember, I'm going to bring this up because it's very important to this next portion. Hezekiah was told by Isaiah that he was going to die, get your house in order. And he immediately started weeping to God and basically saying, God, I've been a good king. I really deserve more time. And God gave him an extra 15 years of life. Uh, we're going to find out, uh, and I mentioned it, you know, during that period of time, that this was a prayer that the nation of Israel will regret having had answered. And we want to be careful because sometimes God will answer prayers that are better off not answered. And this is going to be one of those times. Hezekiah, one of the greatest kings of Israel, gets a prayer answered that shouldn't have been answered, and we'll see why in just a second. And remember, he gets 15 extra years to his life. So chapter 21, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hephzibah. Hep, Hep and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord cast out before the children of Israel. For he built again the high places which Hezekiah's father had destroyed, and he reared up altars for Baal, and a grove as did Ahab king of Israel, and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. And he built altars in the house of the Lord, in which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem will, will I put my name. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven, and the two in the two courts of the house of the Lord. And he made his son pass through the fire and observed times and used enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards. And he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. And he set a graven image of the grove which he had made in the house of which the Lord said unto David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen of out of all the tribes of Israel will I put my name forever. Neither will I make the feet of Israel move any more out of the land which I gave their fathers, only if they observe to do according to all that I have commanded them, and according to all the law that my servant Moses commanded them. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations which the Lord destroyed before the children of Israel. All right. Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, a great king, and Hezekiah had destroyed the high places. He had gotten rid of all the idol worship in Israel. And his son brings it all back. All right? And note, he gets 15 extra years. How old is his son when his son starts reigning? 12 years old. Manasseh was born during that extra 15 years that Hezekiah was given. So because he had 15 extra years, Manasseh is born and Manasseh is going to be, as we said at the very end, he leads the nation to be worse than they were, than the nations were that Israel was, was told to drive out of the promised land. This is a prayer that was answered. And it's, you look at that and go, God, why would you answer this, this bad a prayer? But you know, there are those who will tell you God will never answer prayers that are, that are bad for you. I don't buy that. 
If you really beg God and you really beg God and you really beg God, he might just give you something that is not good for you. Uh, and, you know, it's very important for us you know, uh, to understand that God always, number one, always answers our prayers. Because no is an answer. Now, we don't like to hear no any more than we did when we were kids or a teenager or our kids like to hear no. We, even as senior adults, don't want to hear no. All right? Uh, and then people will say, God didn't answer my prayer. Well, I'm sorry, but no is an answer. You know, and God is saying that it's not good for you to get this. And if you really persist, he might give you what you think you want, as he did Hezekiah. So we want to be careful and make sure that we accept, when God says no, <laughs> that we accept his no and quit begging. Now, there is that place where if we, if we know we're praying in the name of the, God, of, of the Father and Jesus and it, we know it's something that is good or we think it's something that's good, we can continue praying. Hezekiah thought it was a great thing. God, give me more time. I, I, look at all I've done for you already. Look how much more I can do for you if you just don't take my life right now. And we find out he did a lot of stupid things. We're not going to go over the last two, all, all the last three chapters, but if you, want, if you weren't here and don't remember, go back over the last three chapters and see all the crazy things that he did, especially the last chapter. All right? His pride started taking advantage of him, and he wasn't as great a king in his end days. And this is something that really, for me, my prayer is, God, let me finish well. Because I have seen so many people come to the end of their life in their last decade or so of life and just start sliding back from God and not serving God and not following God and you're going, you know, what happened? And I've seen some good friends and, and good family members that have done just that. They haven't finished well. And my prayer to God is, God, I want to finish well. Don't let me slip away from you in my later, later days. And this is something that is very important. Hezekiah slipped from God. Now, he didn't go to be evil. He just started living more in prideful decisions and forgot God. Uh, but Manasseh comes along and it says he was 12 years old and it names his mother, which is the normal thing because the mother is always going to be the queen, the queen mother. Because most of these guys remember that polygamy was big at this time. So rather than name one of your wife's queen, you named your mom queen which made life a whole lot easier. You only had one mom. <laughs> there might have been more than one mom involved in the whole royal family, but you only had one mom, so it made it real easy. Mom, you're queen. <laughs> Rather than have to pick one of his wives to be queen and cause problems. And so, and it says, verse 2, And he did evil in the sight of the Lord after the abominations of the heathen. Right? So he didn't just do evil. He went all the way to as bad as you can get. All right? Abominations, disgusting things is really what that word means. Whatever that was disgusting in the, in the heathen's world, he participated in it. So who are the heathens? Huh? Who are the heathens? Anybody who wasn't, he, wasn't uh, Jewish. But in this particular case, he's talking about Assyria, Canaanites, you know, Amorites, uh, the Babylons, because he's taking all of their gods. Anybody who doesn't worship God is a heathen. 
Right? So even in our day, many Americans are heathen, even though they would do a, hate to have that, hate that term applied to them. But if you're not a follower of God, you are a heathen. Heathen usually has the implication of somebody who's really evil. Heathen is anybody who's not a, not a follower of God. Uh, even nowadays, we don't technically use that term anymore. Most of the time when we think of heathens, we'll go, those, those heathens that live in, in the uh, center, center of Africa or India or the Middle East or something of that nature. In our early days of the settling of America, the heathens were the, in, the American Indians. All right? They weren't followers of God and, and weren't obeying God's laws. So would it be the same as pagan? Pagan, pagan. Pagan would be the same type of word. So they did, they did the abominations. And then it says, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So specifically in this case, he's going, I'm going all the way back to the Canaanites, the Pezites, the, the Jergesites, and, the, uh, and, the, and all those otherites that were in there, in there when they took over the promised land. All right? He goes, not only did Manasseh go backwards, he went back to the worst other people because the reason the Israelites were told to go into the promised land and kill every single person was because they were so evil that God said that they have polluted the very land and they had polluted the animals all right everything was polluted because of their sinful nature and they, when, back when we talked about this, their sinful nature was such a, such a place where they did not have a single word for what we call perverse sexual activities. It was all considered sex. Okay? No matter what it was. Yeah. All right? Uh, whether it was pedophilia or bestiality or, or in, uh, any necro, necro, necreal, uh, necrophilia, all of those things were just what, or homosexuality, transgenderism, all of that was prevalent in that neighborhood, and God said, kill everything. All right? Because things had gotten so evil, Manasseh has taken things back all the way back to that period of time. So he is the worst of all these ones. Many of these ones have been following after these idols and worshiping after the idols, but he's bringing back everything. And he says, God says he has gone to as bad as those original nations. All right, so this is pretty bad. We've gone from a great king, a righteous king, a king who has destroyed, destroyed the idols, down to one that's going back almost a thousand years earlier and saying, we're going to be as bad as the nations we overtook. This is a pretty big fall. All because Hezekiah begged God for more life. And now we see the consequences of this. And verse 3, and it says, He built again the high places which Hezekiah his father had destroyed. So Hezekiah had destroyed all those big temples that Solomon had built. Remember, Solomon had built temples for his wives. All right? He, he had just a few concubines and wives, over a thousand of them, just a, just a few. Uh, and they were all foreign wives, and they, they weren't allowed to go into the temple of God. And, and, and eventually, you know, he relented to them and built temples for them so that they could worship their God 
in, around Jerusalem. So all around Jerusalem, on the mountains all around Jerusalem, were these big temples for other gods. Hezekiah was the first one to destroy those temples. Manasseh rebuilds them. So this is a big deal. I mean, he is going whole bore into worshiping these, these idols. And then it goes on to say that not only did he build these high places, he reared up altars for Baal again. All right, so Baal worship, which has been a problem for them all along. But he's also put in uh, uh, all these other gods uh, that, are, that are in that area. He raises up a grove. So this is a store of worship, which is a fertility goddess, which would be a totem pole in a ring, in a ring of trees uh, where they would be doing what we would say unspeakable acts together, orgies. Uh, would be part of that worship. And if all that wasn't enough, he decided to worship all the hosts of heaven. And so he made altars and, and, and things for all the stars and the moons and the sun and, and uh, planets and all these things. So he worshiped all the starry host. So he goes completely opposite of his dad. His dad was worshiping the one God. He worships all the gods he can possibly find and then some. Almost a god for every day. And pretty much. I mean, you just start getting, if you do nothing but the sun, moon, and the planets, you're, you know, you're, you're at, well, at that time there was only like five or six planets, just the visual, visual, visual planets. But, you know, so he's at, he, he's at 10 or 11 just with the planets and the, and the sun and the moon. And then he's picking the constellations because there's 12, 12 major constellations in the zodiac even for them. And then there's three minor minor constellations in each of the each of the houses of the zodiac so there's 36 36 constellations for him to worship uh you know so there's all this going on and he's bringing in every other god you know he is taking israel completely the wrong direction now the scary thing is even though hezekiah reigned so long and, and got rid of all the idol worship. Obviously, the idol worship was still going on under the gr underground because when his son came up, nobody said, no, we can't do that. Nobody, he brings it all in, and the nation follows him wholeheartedly. You know, and this is something that we have to be aware of. We can never make somebody worship God because if we try, they'll pretend. I'm sure they all went to Hezekiah's temple. They... They offered their sacrifices that they were supposed to offer. They get, brought their tithes and offerings into the house of the Lord. And then they ran right out to find some place, some hidden place to be able to worship their God. Um, and this is even what happened to Christianity in 400 AD when Constantine declared that Christianity was the official uh, approved religion of Rome. All that happened was that night, all the priests went into their temples and pulled the gods down and, and made altars to the to the to the god and started started making prayers to the saints. So all they did, you know, the day before you were worshiping Jupiter, now you're worshiping God, and there's some some idol to a saint, and you're still worshiping him exactly the same way that you worship Jupiter, except that you're putting Christian clothes on it. And out of that came the Roman Catholic Church with all the problems that it had in part Christian and part not Christian and all the problems that it had because there was nobody saying what the standard was to be Christian just overnight everybody became Christian because 
Rome was paying the priests their money and their salary, so if you wanted to keep getting your salary, you had to become Christian. But that didn't mean that you changed what and how you worshipped. You just changed the name on the door. And, you know, unfortunately, that's happening in our day and age with Christian churches. They're still supposedly Christian churches, but what they're worshipping is everything but God. Now, I can't tell you how many churches and pastors I talk to that don't believe the Bible. Now, okay, well, you don't believe, you know, and, and they don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the only way to heaven, and yet they're calling themselves Christians, which means Christ followers. You know, and you go, well, what do you believe? Oh, we believe in good works. You know, it's an amazing thought, and yet they will call themselves Christian. So just what happened in, the, in that day and age is happening kind of in reverse. They're retaining the name, but not the practice. And this is something that we need to be careful that we don't slip away from God, claiming that we're his, but slip away from what truth is. And it's so easy to do when we don't follow God's word. And Manasseh takes the people away and he's the leader so he really takes them away because he gives them permission to do obviously what they wanted to do anyway and so he did all that then he's then the verse four is the one that really gets critical he built altars in the house of the lord so he goes in the temple and he puts altars not to the god jehovah he puts altars to baal and ashtoreth and all the all the all the gods instead of god this is a critical, he is one of only a handful of kings that went that far to literally put altars in the temple of God. And, and, he's, and he built altars for all the hosts of the heaven and the, in the two courts of the house of the Lord. So again, he's building temples to the sun, temples to the moon, uh, altars to the moon, altars to the sun, altars to the, all, the, all the 36 constellations in the zodiac. Uh, you know, instead of worshiping God in God's temple. And God, and God let him do it. They're coming to the end. They're coming to the end where God's patience is running out. There will be one more good king after, after this. And then all the rest are bad kings. And we have Manasseh and his, and his son Ammon be, before we have the good king. All right? But God, you know, God will let us dig a deep hole for ourselves if we want to because we have a free will if we just want to ignore his voice he will let us dig a very You're deep hole yeah basically he did he gave he gave the shovel he allowed 15 extra years to hezekiah's life so manasseh could be born so that manasseh could lead the nation into lead lead the nation into idolatry so that they would deserve what was going to come when babylon conquered them this is a pretty big deal. This is a big deal on what was going on. Then it says in verse 6, and he made his son to pass through the fire. All right? This is referring to the worship of Moloch. Moloch was a great big statue with arms that, it, uh, that went out in the front of him. They built a fire in the, inside that statue. They put a baby in the arms of the, of the statue, and then they pulled this lever and rolled the baby into the fire. And that was their worship of Moloch. And that was called passing your children through the fire. Moloch was a god of power. And, you know, 
Uh, so you're, by giving up your children, you are showing your devotion to Moloch. I'm willing to take what you give me, and I'm willing to give up anything for it. You know, it's un unfortunate that we may not actually put our children in the fire, but there are many, especially men, who will sacrifice their family to work so that they can... And you know what? I've been guilty of it myself. You know, basically sacrificing my family to work, and I'm saying I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for my family. I've got to provide for my family. I've got to have a house for them. I've got to have, you know, the car. I've got to have all these, you know, all the goodies for them. But I never see my family. So I'm really not doing it for my family. I'm doing it for me. But this is what all this worship of Moloch was about. He was, he was able to kill his children for that purpose. And then beyond that, he observed times or the seasons and the, and the months, you know, and we still have remnants of the observation of times even today. All right. We celebrate Christmas during the winter solstice season. And the reason it was picked was that, this, that the Caesar didn't want to lose another working day by adding another holiday. So he picked one that was already in existence and tagged the Christian meaning to the winter solstice. Then we have Easter, which has been tagged to the spring <laughs> equinox, which again was tagged to a day that was already celebrated by a fertility goddess rather than being attached to the day that it was supposed to be attached to Passover so that they didn't lose another day of work from their people. So, and, you know, not that I'm saying that we still practice these ancient religions, but we still are practicing them in a, in a very roundabout way. You know, Halloween is All Hallows' Eve, which is a high day for the, for the, for the Wicca and, the, and black magic. And so we have that holiday we practice. And again, most of the actual practices have been broken down and, and watered down. Nobody knows what's going on. But we still have these holidays that he was following after all right and he's observing those times he's using enchantments and dealt with familiar spirits and wizards and god said that witches and wizards were to be executed those who committed communicated with familiar spirits were to be were to be killed all right executed uh Was that in Leviticus? In Leviticus. all right uh, so, so so god said suffer not a witch to, to live you know so it was to be killed you know all, anything to do with enchantments was, was a capital crime. Uh, and he's practicing all of those. This is just, what are they doing? They're telling us how far down he has gone. Uh, from his father's worship to right down in the pit of everything wrong. And, you know, so he goes through all of this. And all of this, it says, he wrought much wickedness in the sight of the Lord and provoked him to anger. God got angry. And, you know, this is something that's hard to understand. A lot of people don't like to think of God being angry. Even in our day, because now we live in the quote-unquote period of grace after Jesus died. But you know what? God still gets angry at sin and will punish sin. And in his children, he will punish sin because he does not want us to wallow around in the, in the mire and the, and the muck. He wants to make sure that we're going to get out of it. But he will also still judge nations for their sin. He did it with, 
with Babylon. He did it with Greece. He did it with Rome. He's done it with many nations over the years that he has judged for their wickedness. And America is right now on that cusp of being judged. Now, I don't know how much longer we have. We need, a, we need a revival in this country not to be judged, but we are at the point where we're going into all the stuff that we're talking about right here. We have fornication, adultery, uh, homosexuality, transgenderism, bestiality is being picked up. We've got every perverted form of sex being accepted by people. We have witchcraft and seances and psychics being celebrated. Uh, everything that he's doing is accepted. The only thing we don't have yet out in the open is sacrifices to these altars, and that won't be far down the road. You know, we do have sacrifices going on right now. Many women ab abort their children to sacrifice the, their lust and their pleasure and their lifestyle and kill their children. So we have sacrifices going on. These were all post-birth abortions. We do pre-birth abortions. So we do sacrifice on an altar of desire and fun and freedom. We have all kinds of things that we sacrifice. And it's going to even get worse as time goes on. There will probably be actual sacrifices going on and they'll be accepted because of the, way, the direction we're going. And so I'm not going to be surprised to see it. Huh? I just don't get that. I well, I don't know why anybody would, but when you don't value life because you're not created in the image of God according to the way the world looks, life is cheap. That's why we can abort somebody. That's why we can have euthanasia where we kill the old people before they, before they use up all the in inheritance of their children. They say, well, you should just die because you, we don't want you to get sick and use up all of our inheritance. We want your money. Yeah. You know, well, that's that point, too. But I'm, I really believe we're going to start yeah. seeing this kind of, because we're starting to see the idols coming back. It's kind of an interesting thing. We see Buddhas everywhere in, in America anymore. We see all these different idols coming out. We had the Arch of Baal running around the, the country in, in a, a, a display. And people flocked to it to see it. The Arch of Baal. The oh. God, God of all. It ran all over the country, the world, being on display so that people could get used to it. We're seeing witchcraft has always been doing sacrifices. Now, they have not been accepted, but they do sacrifices because they're sacrificing to the familiar spirits and the, and the demonic world. So it has always been floating around, but I think it's going to start getting more and more open as we go forward. And the more we look at life being cheap, the more we're going to see this kind of stuff going on. We're seeing an uptick in the worship of the Norse gods. All right? We're seeing all these gods coming back. And they're going, well, they're older than Christian gods, so we, you know, we should be worshiping these gods. You know, and it's sad, but you're going to hear it. You're going to hear more and more of it as you start listening to what's going on. And it's a strange world we're moving into because we're moving backwards. You know, so many people say we're in a post-Christian world or a post-modern world. 
No, we are going backwards to a pre-Christian world, of, you know, where life doesn't matter, where people, you know, are cruel and vicious to each other, and no compunction to it. The Christian world brought that idea that we're created in the image of God, and everybody is valuable, and life is valuable, and brought in care. That's why hospitals were developed, and orphanages, and 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 all these things that were developed to protect people was from the Christian influence in the, in the world. If you look at places where Christianity has not been pre, uh, the prime mover, you don't see many hospitals, you don't see orphanages, other than where the Christians have come in and put them. Um, because life is not important to them, because they don't, they're not created after the image of God. And if it's not, you know, if you believe in reincarnation, who cares if you die because you're just coming back again. You know, if you believe in evolution, who cares if you die? You just weren't strong enough to live. You know, and that has always been the mentality. In the Roman days, and the Greek days, if a soldier got hurt on the battlefield and got left behind, it's like, okay, you're hurt. Yeah, we put a bandage on it. You're not bleeding. If you live, good. If you don't, who cares? You, you know, you're not worth anything to us as a soldier now that you're injured anyway. And literally, that was the attitude. And the people had more children than they wanted, they would take them out to the river and sacrifice them to the river god by throwing them in the river. Or they'd go to the god like Moloch and, and put them in the fire and burn them. You know, they were just something that was a bother to me. They were going to drain my income, so why do I want them? There was no value to them under these systems. Christianity came along and goes, God created man in his own image. Man has value. And that changed the way things people looked at things and in our day and age we're seeing that people just don't see the value of humanity and we see it from the environmentalists that you know they, they would rather protect the the slimy uh, slug that is supposedly only available in one area of the world you know one area of the the state than to save lives of people and they would literally say that they will literally tell you that, you know, a pig is just as valuable as a child, or you know, this this spotted owl is more important than, than than a than a person. Yeah, I never would have thought of that. That is true. Where they want to save these special species. But not worry about man. Yeah, but not worry about. But all of that comes from a lack of belief in God, true belief in God, and Manasseh is taking them all the way down, and he is provoking God. And then in verse 7, and he set up a graven image in the grove, of the grove that he had made in, in the house of the Lord God, which the Lord God had said to David and Solomon, in this house of Jerusalem I have chosen out of all the tribes to put my name forever. So he puts an Astoroth totem in the house of God. Astoroth, it's a totem. Totem pole. Graven image of the grove. Of the grove, which means the grove always referred to the Astoroth worship. The Astoroth worship. Yeah. The newer versions actually have that one correct. All right. The, the, the totem, totem or the, the carving of, of Astaroth. So, but if you understand what it's referring to, you can read it in the, in the King James and know that he's referring to a to a totem of Astaroth. Um, and so he puts that right in 
the house of the Lord. And you know what? It makes it sound like he actually put it into the holy place. All right. It doesn't come out and say this because the other places he put it in the courtyard where the sacrifices were made. This one was in the house of the Lord. So it is being placed in the holy and hopefully not the holy of holies. All right. This is a serious issue that he's made when he comes to God. No king has been bold enough. There's a couple of kings were bold enough to put altars in the, in the court. But no king was recorded to be willing to put it in the holy place or the holy of holies. You know, he is a bad king. A bad follower of God because he's not following God at all. All right. And then it said, you know, then it goes on to say, neither will I make their feet of Israel move anymore out of the land which I gave them. That was God's promise. If you obey my laws and my rules, you will have this land forever. And it's kind of an amazing thing. They just had to obey God. And they don't. And they're going to lose their land. They're five, gener- five kings from now, they're going to lose their, lose their land to Babylon because of the evil that's going on. And... And it says, only if they will do according to which I am and according to the laws I gave my servant Moses. Just obey my laws and you get to keep this land and you won't be kicked out. And yet they never obeyed God completely. Their hearts never followed him. And Hezekiah made all these rules and everything, but obviously the people's hearts were not turned to God during that period of time. Now, if Manasseh had followed him, maybe, maybe two generations would have been enough to get them, get them changed. But, you know, it's been said, and I agree, that the church is only one generation away from being annihilated. If we do not raise up the next generation to follow God wholeheartedly, there won't be a church. And we're starting to see that suffering as we are not doing a good job overall of training up our children to obey and follow God. And they're, sl- they're sliding away. You know, God will always have a remnant. He will never let the church completely die out. There will always be somebody who has trained their children to obey God, who will train, you know, that will lead others and, and get people trained. There will always be a remnant. God will always protect. But for the most part, we're seeing it in our generation that the church is falling apart. There are so many churches that are not obeying God, are not, not are, are Christian in name only, and that's going to be a problem for us as this world gets more and more evil. Because as those churches follow along with the evil, they're going to look at us and say, what's wrong with you? Most of, most of the Christian churches don't believe the stuff that you believe, so you've got a problem. At the prison, one of the pr- craziest things that go on is we have all kinds of different religions. And every religion, we think of each religion as being this big, everybody all the same belief system on it. But they're not. Judaism goes from high worship to God to doing good works. You know, uh, and every other religion out there has this whole large spectrum. While at the prison, the chaplains have to make some kind of standard. So the standard they come up with is what is true of all of them, which means there's not a whole lot of things that they get to do because there's always some group that doesn't do it or some group that does something totally different. 
and they don't get their way because you cannot give every single person the, the way to worship that they want to worship. And this is going to happen to us as Christians as the world gets more and more evil. They're going to look and say, well, 80%, 90% of these churches don't, don't believe in the Bible, don't believe in God, don't believe homosexuality is a sin, don't believe, you know, don't believe that murder is wrong, don't believe you know, you know, all these different things. What's wrong with you? And we see it all the time. How are decisions made anymore? Well, the latest poll says that 60% of the population believes such and such. Well, big deal. <laughs> the truth is still the truth, even if 99.9% .9 of the people don't believe it, truth is still truth. And we have to hold on to what God says is true and hold on to it even if everybody that we know doesn't agree with us, we need to hold on to truth. Because this world is being run by polls. Our candidates run by polls. Decisions are made by polls. You know, we've got really stupid laws pending that are gonna destroy Christianity, destroy our, our democracy, and yet they'll go, 75% of the people think this is a good idea. Well, I guess if 80% if of the people decided to take arsenic was a good idea, then you would all be saying, arsen t everybody take arsenic, because most people think it's a great idea. <laughs> you know, we need to be very careful that we are swayed by what God says, not what people think. One thing you will find in the Bible, and this is why the, our founding fathers had problem with the idea of a republic being set up, because the majority is wrong more often than they're right. And it's true in the scriptures. The majority is almost always wrong. And this is the problem with republics, is you get based upon what do the majority say rather than what is truth. And this is why it's a problem. And the founding fathers really had trouble going with the republic. If you read their historical documents, they really didn't like the idea of a republic for just that reason because it had been tried on more than one occasion and they had all fallen when people had learned that you could buy the vote. Our politicians know that they can buy the vote. How did Biden get all the votes that he, well, I'm gonna give you lots of money, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you unemployment, I'm gonna give you insurance, I'm gonna give you freedom from your debt, your, your, your student loans, I'm gonna give you free, free college. Free money. And people voted for him in droves because he promised them all kinds of free stuff. How he's going to pay for it, he never talked about. How he's going to keep the country moving, he never talked about. And I'm not trying to be pol you know, political, but he promised everything that will destroy this country, and people bought it hook, line, and sinker, because that is exactly what the Founding Fathers said would happen. The majority is wrong more often than they are right. So if you're in the minority, you're probably in a good place. All right? As long as you are believing the truth and follow the truth and know because the majority will be wrong. And the majority was waiting out there in the wings. You know, we're just waiting for somebody to allow us to get back into idol worship. And here comes Manasseh. Let's get back into idol worship. But they hearkened not, and Manasseh seduced them to do more evil than did the nations whom the Lord destroyed from before the children of Israel. So they went worse than the original nations in that land as a nation, not just, as, not just Manasseh, but as a nation, 
They're worse than what was put out of the area. All right, verse 10. And the Lord spoke by his servants the prophets, saying, Because Manasseh, king of Judah, hath done these abominable abominations and have done wickedly above all the Amor which the Amorites did, which we were before him, and hath made Judah also to sin with his idols. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Behold, I am bringing such evil upon Jerusalem and Judea, or Judah, that whosoever hears of both his ears shall tingle. And I will stretch over Jerusalem the line of Samaria and the plummet of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down, and I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become a prey and a spoil to all their enemies, because they have done that which is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the days that their fathers came out forth out of Egypt, even to this day. Moreover, Manasseh shed innocent blood very much till he had filled Jerusalem from one end of another to another besides his sin wherein he made Judah to sin in doing that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. All right, so God speaks. And this is kind of interesting because he makes it sound like this is going to happen immediately. It doesn't happen for over 150 years. All right, uh, that God is going to actually wipe Jerusalem off the face of the, of the, of the globe. It's going to come long after Manasseh's time. But God spoke that it's going to happen. And if you remember, one of the things that God had said to, in, in chapter 20 to Hezekiah is, because of your sin, your Jerusalem oh, yeah. will be punished in the future in your children's children's time. And if you remember his answer, oh, that's great, God, as long as it's not in my time. Here's the same thing being said, not quite as boldly to them. God just says, I'm going to do this. And it says, he, go, he calls them out and he says, because you have done so evil, I'm going to do a thing that will make people's ears tingle or ring. When they hear this, it'll be like, he did what? Everybody up to this point has looked to Jerusalem. I mean, even in Jesus' day, there was the same attitude. We live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is God's city. God will never destroy Jerusalem. They were saying the same thing. We live in Jerusalem. This is God's, God's city. Manasseh was making it God's city, but they still thought of it as God's city. All right? God would never destroy Jerusalem, and yet he's going to say that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus' day, they were saying the same thing. This is Jerusalem. God will never destroy. He'd already done it once already under Babylon, so why I believe that they believe that, I have no idea. All right? And then in 70 AD, Rome destroys Jerusalem. All right? Um, he says, it, I'm going to make something so bad it's going to make people's ears ring, ears tingle when they hear this. They're not going to believe it. He says, I have stretched over Jerusalem the line of Samaria, a measuring stick. Remember, Samaria has already been destroyed. The northern kingdom is already destroyed and in captivity to Assyria. God says, I'm going to stretch the same line I put over, over Assyria, uh, Samaria. They Remember what happened to them. They've gotten a warning. And he says, and the plummet 
to the, of the house of Ahab, and Ahab was the one that did all kinds of evil with Baal and Ashtoreth, and a plumb line is a, is a uh, weighted thing to determine whether something's straight or not. And he's going to say, you're not straight. So he says, Ahab was destroyed. Samaria was destroyed. These are the same measurements I'm bringing to you. You guys are going into the same sins they are. Be ready for what's going to happen. And God is warning them. And in this case, they don't repent. We're reading in Jonah on Thursdays, you know, and Jonah preached to Nineveh. Nineveh repented, which we'll talk about tomorrow. And they get an extra 150 years before they're judged because of their repentance. This is the beauty of, even for our country, as evil as it is, if our country was to come into repentance before God, we'd get extra time. How much extra time? I don't know. Usually it was 150, 200, 300 years, and then they would be judged anyway. 150, 200 years, and they didn't repent. All right? They didn't repent. They still got 120, 150, 200 years. All right? He goes, I'm bringing this measurement stick. And then he says in, in verse 13, and I will wipe Jerusalem as a man wipes a dish. This is literally the picture of them taking it to the sink and washing it. I am going to clean everything out, out of Jerusalem. And he says, and I'm going to turn it upside down to dry. This is exactly what he's saying. I am going to just wipe it, all, you know, wipe it clean. Yeah, it's very strong language. Uh, anybody who's ever washed dishes and made them clean <laughs> know what it's like. You take everything out of the inside and clean it up and, and rinse it out and drain it. That's what God's saying. I'm going to wipe it clean. Maybe put in some scalding water. It's scalding water, hot water. It's, you know, I'm, going to, I'm making this totally purified and wiped out clean. And then comes a very interesting statement in verse 14. I will forsake the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hand of their enemies, and they shall become prey and spoil for their enemies. God has never promised the remnant easy times. Never. In uh, Elijah's day, when he claimed to God, God, I'm the only one who hasn't bent the knee to Baal. God says, I've got 5,000 taken care of. They were being protected. But after they were released, they, were, they started dying. They were executed. During this period of time, the, the, the prophets are being executed. Prophets were killed all the time. Why? Because they dared to speak God's word. During the first century, Hundreds of thousands of Christians died, if not millions of Christians died, in all the persecution. And they just died because they dared to obey God. God has never promised us that it's going to be easy. World War II, millions of Jews died, but also in that number were lots of Christians who supported the Jews and were treated just as bad as the Jews were. Case in point, you think of the Ten Boon family. They were taken into captivity because they protected Jews. They weren't the only ones. There were lots of them that protected Jews and would not, would not uh, follow after Hitler's reign, and they were executed. Stalin and them killed many Christians. You know, all through uh, China and Japan, many Christians lost their lives 
in many purges. In India, it's not uncommon for the Hindus and the Muslims to rise up and kill Christians you know, because that is the hatred that goes on. Here, God says, I'm going to turn the remnant. And that's exactly what Hezekiah was told. He goes, your sons and grandsons you know, will go into captivity and be made eunuchs. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were taken into captivity and for everything that we know about them were made eunuchs and wise men into, in the royal palace to be wise men. You know, so that was f- completely fulfilled. And God will always protect his remnant to a degree, but the remnant does not get away scot-free. Partially, I believe it is because the remnant, if there is a remnant and things are going that bad, means that the remnant haven't been evangelizing well enough to turn people's hearts. And God says, you're, you, you, you are following me, but you're not following me completely and lets things happen to them. And we need to be careful. We need to follow God. And just being obedient is going to keep us out of trouble. You, know, you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, the leaders were executed all the time. Because if they could get the leader to recant, then the people would possibly pull back. And he says, I am going to put the remnant under the enemy as well, and they are going to be spoiled. He's re-speaking the words that were spoken to Hezekiah. Didn't put a time frame on it. And then says, because they have done that which is evil in my sight and have provoked me to anger since the days of their fathers that came forth out of Egypt, even to this day. Egypt was a bad thing for the, for the Jewish people. They have been stiff-necked all the way from the very deliverance that they got. They're being abused by slaves and they pray to God for deliverance. And what do they say to Moses when Moses starts speaking about deliverance and life gets tough? It's all your fault, Moses. Now, uh, we, just, we would just be happy here if you would just leave us alone and things wouldn't have got so bad. They finally get out of the land. They're on their way out and, it, and Pharaoh starts chasing them with chariots and they're, got, they're between uh, the Red Sea and, and Pharaoh and they're going, where do they go? Pharaoh, it's all your fault. There weren't enough graves in Egypt so now you brought us out here to die. They get across the Red Sea and the first thing they do is, we're thirsty. <laughs> you brought us out here to die. <laughs> the next thing you know, we're hungry. They forget everything else. You know, uh, we want to we really want to go back to Egypt where we had cucumbers and leeks and onions. You brought us out here to die. <laughs> and every time God, they attacked God and Moses, God gave them what they needed. And yet they never accepted God's provision. We need to be very careful that when we get provided things for God, that we're thankful for what he gives us and quit griping. And we all gripe all the time, you know, God, why? Why don't I have? Why, why is this? Why, why that? Why can't I do? Why can't, you know, they get to do this and I don't have the money to do this and they get that and I don't have this and... Now, we get very grumbly with God. It's human nature. Human nature has the attitude of, what have you done for me lately? Well, God, I know that you've given me manna for all these years. I know that you've given me water, but I'm really wanting something other than manna. Now, 
God, I know you've given me good health and nobody's sick because of all this nice manna that you've given us. It's very healthy food and nobody's sick. But, you know, the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years and their clothes did not wear out. Their shoes did not wear out. They were not sick. Manna was the perfect food. Their bodies were maintained perfectly. You know, healthy. They weren't dying of diseases. They were dying of old age and, and battles, but they weren't dying of diseases. You know, and yet they were not happy with what was going on. You know, we as human beings have great big problems being content and thankful. We get used to what we have. And this is one of the things I've said several times. It is so easy for us to take the blessings of God and start thinking about them being normal and quit thinking about them as being blessings, but we think that they're normals. You know, God, you know, I, things are just so good, but you know, they could be better. I haven't had any blessings for a long time, God. You know, yeah, I got a job, I've got a nice car, I've got a house, I've got three meals a day, I've got, elect I've got utilities in, my, in there, you know, we get to go out to dinner once in a while, maybe not all the time, but we get to go out to dinner once in a while. You know, things are going really good, we're healthy, but God, what are you doing for me? And we laugh about that, but we get into that kind of mentality sometimes. You know, God, I haven't had a blessing in a long time. Because we start treating his blessings as normal day-to-day -day events. And when we, when we do that, we get into trouble. Because we stop seeing the blessings. And then we start getting discontent. Because I'm no longer getting the blessings from God. So now I'm going, God, I, I need something. You haven't done anything for me in a long time. The only problem with that is, you know what God usually does when you get that attitude? He usually takes away the blessings that you do have. And then you really get angry at God. You know, and God says, well, do you want the blessings or not? And he's asking for repentance. And he wants us really to understand what a blessing is. Because all the times that we have all this stuff going in, the children of Israel, the moment they came out of Egypt, and even before they came out of Egypt, were griping about God all the time. They griped about God. They came to the very promised land under Moses and they looked in and said, uh, Moses, there's giants in that land and we can't beat them. Our God did take, take out Egypt, uh, completely opened the Red Seas, fed us, for, fed us for all these years, these few years that we've been wandering in the, you know, the year that we've been wandering in the desert, gave us water, has helped us defeat the, the, the Moabites, but you know, there's giants in that land and he can't beat them. And they turned away from the land and said, we're not going in. And God says, fine, you'll wander in the wilderness for 40 years until you all die. What a consequence for being disobedient. And do you all remember that when, they, when Moses told them that, okay, God's going to say you're wandering in the wilderness, do you remember what they tried to do? They led an army in to try to take the land. And Moses said, don't go in that land, you're going to be defeated. And they lost tens of thousands of people in a battle that they weren't supposed to be in because they decided when God said, you're, going to st you're not going into the land, they said, we're going to take the land because God said it was our land. And they're living in disobedience. And God says, no, 
you're not getting this land right now. I told you you're wandering in the desert until you all die. How many Christians wander in the wilderness rather than coming into the promised land of blessing because we reject God's desires and words? Now, we need to be very careful. The promised land is not heaven. The promised land was good, but it wasn't heaven. And most Christians do not enter into the, the benefits of God and the, the blessings of God because of our disobedience. God says, okay, wander around in the wilderness. In the wilderness, he gave them their needs. He fed them. He watered them. And he took care of them generally. But he didn't get the blessings that they were supposed to have. And there are so many Christians living beneath the blessings of God because they will not humble themselves and obey God. And this is very important for us. Is God Lord of your life? Or is he just Savior? You know, if we treat him as our fire insurance, he's my, he's my Savior, I'm not going to hell, then we have the bare minimum in this life. If we treat him as Lord and Master, we can be blessed out of our socks and say, wow, this is the way to live. And all we've got to do is stay focused on the fact that he's Lord and Master and he is blessing me. So we need to keep this in mind. What is our attention on? Are we slipping into the world? And how easy is it to slip into the world? We get away from reading our Bible. We get away from going to church. We get away from spending time with Christians. It is so easy to be pulled away from God because the world does things that make sense in the flesh. Everything seems to make sense. Now, when we think about it, we know that, you know, all right, I went out and I went and I got drunk last night. I really don't know what I did. Everybody said I had fun. My bank account's drained, but I, but I supposedly had fun. I woke up with somebody in my bed, and I don't know who they are, but I had fun. Now, my car's got a big hole in it where I ran into a telephone pole, but I had fun. Now, and we do these things that sound so good to the flesh, but have long-term ramifications that are not good. And God's saying, why do you want to live that way when I have great blessing for you? And we might not get that bad, but you know, we get to the place where we just start missing the blessings because we're wrapped up in everything else. We need to seek after God and follow him in all of our heart all of our mind, all of our strength, and all of our soul. Seek God, not seek the world. And when we seek him that way, he will give us blessings that are just blow our minds when we think about it. And just always look at your life and count the blessings that he has given you. Don't be envious. Don't be desirous of other things because they're not what you're supposed to have right now. Maybe God will give them to you someday. Do you know one of the things that God doesn't give people is wealth because he knows that most people can't handle wealth? You know, wealth starts owning people. Money starts owning people after a while and they start getting possessions and the possessions start owning you. You get a brand new car and what do you have to do to your brand new car? 
You have to wash it and wax it and, and clean it and spend lots of money every time anything starts going wrong. And you've got to make sure nobody scratches that paint so you're watching it all the time. And you get mad at the first time you get a scratch on your car because somebody has damaged your precious, precious vehicle and you go out and you repaint it or you buff it out or you know, you do all the stuff to get it up and then after a while it's not new anymore and somebody else has a better car than you and so what do you have to do? You have to go get another car which has all the bells and whistles and is better than everybody else's and you go into debt for that car and then you find out that one's not going to make you happy in the long run and then you got to go well, okay and now, now I got to get a better house you know, and I got to get the summer house and the, and the beach house and I've got to have the quad and there's nothing wrong with all these things necessarily. But after a while, those things start to possess you. I have seen more people get blessed by God and have all the toys and bells and whistles. And then you go to look for them and you go, well, where have you been? I haven't seen you in church lately. Ah, oh, well, you know, I was, you know, riding the boat and you know, right, you know, down at the beach, uh, beach house, and we were up in the mountain cabin, and we had to go on a, on a trip, you know, all these different things that they were doing, and their possessions start to possess them, and they forget that they were blessings from God. And this is something that we have to be very careful about. There's nothing wrong with the possessions. As long as you can keep the possessions where they belong as possessions that God has blessed you with, there's nothing wrong with him. As soon as you raise those possessions up and you're not happy without those possessions, you're in trouble. Because those possessions now have become an idol in your life. And we want to be very careful that we don't let that happen. That we always seek God and we don't start doing evil in his sight by allowing our possessions to own us. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, that you care for us. Lord, help us to always keep in mind that you are God. You are the one that owns everything. You give us the blessings. Help us to stay focused on you in all that we do and keep following you and be content with whatever you've given us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening, friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you've said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.